The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Tonight, we begin a new study in personal evangelism. I'm very excited about this study. Let me tell you something. Some of the most thrilling times in my life have been centered around uh, personal evangelism. Um, It's really uh, a challenge for us, a burden, as someone once said, Michael Card, the burden of bearing the light. We have the burden, uh, the joyful burden, of taking the gospel to our generation, a generation of lost people. And that's scary, isn't it? It's daunting when you think about that. You think about evangelism and you think about, you know, crossing that space between you and somebody who needs the gospel and you think about how they might respond, how they might feel about you, uh, how the conversation might go. You imagine yourself being burned at the stake or some kind of torture like uh, the Spanish Inquisition. Nothing like that's likely to happen. More likely, you might get rejected as a person. Uh, Somebody might be uh, put out with you or something like that. But you know something? The flip side is there are a few things in life as thrilling and fulfilling as leading somebody to Christ, leading somebody into a genuine uh, relationship with Christ. And connected with that, there are a few things as thrilling as feeling the hand of the Lord on you in the midst of an outreach where in some amazing or supernatural way you feel like you are doing the Lord's work. And I've had a lot of situations like that uh, in which I just felt the presence of God, uh, felt that the Lord was in the evangelistic encounter in an amazing way. I remember I was a brand new Christian, come to faith in Christ uh, through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ at MIT, and they were taking us out to, to do witnessing right away. We did a uh, Christmas conference down in Philadelphia, and uh, one afternoon we all went out with the gospel, and we went out and we were paired up, and I went out with a young lady I didn't even know, and we're going in through the streets of uh, uh, Philadelphia knocking on doors and trying to share the gospel. And it was an inner city home, and this woman opened up the home, her home to us and was interested in what we had to say, but she had what seemed like 68 kids running around everywhere, probably more like three or four, but I wasn't used to young kids with all their energy and their noise. And the TV was blaring, and we came in, we're sitting down at the table <clears throat> trying to share the gospel, and I couldn't hear myself think. And the young lady was sharing with her because she was a, a woman, and, and I, my job was just to pray. And the kids were like, you know, like Indians running around. We couldn't, couldn't get anything done. So I just started to pray. I said, Lord, we just need some peace and quiet to be able to get this message across. And uh, I just prayed for that for a little while and then just got into what we we're doing and tried to help uh, share some scripture, uh, just, uh, you know, be there. And the two of us were witnessing to this lady. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I don't know when it happened. I don't know how long it was. But about a half an hour later, we were there. She was really interested in what we were saying. I noticed that all of the kids were sitting quietly on the couch, immobile. All four of them, boom, 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 like that, just sitting on the couch. And as I looked over there, amazed, I noticed they're all sitting there. One of them got up and walked across the floor and turned the TV set down. And what nobody said, the woman hadn't said anything. She was just interested in what we were sharing. And I felt like the presence of Almighty God in the room. And the Lord wanted us to be there. And this woman trusted Christ that very afternoon. I'll never forget that. She, she asked Christ to be her Lord and Savior. Just still brings goosebumps. And then after that, um, the kids just started ramping back up. And by the time we left, it was like, a, like we had never been there. The din was deafening. The TV was loud and all that. But God had carved out this little bubble of space for us to witness. It was on that same, uh, that same conference. Uh, I remember it was... Uh, um, uh, the focus was on making your mark and making it hard to erase. And I remember that uh, it was a little slogan they had, and, and we were college students, and we wanted our lives to count for Christ. We didn't want to live a life of fruitlessness, a life that was dust in the wind, like I talked about on Sunday. We, we wanted to live for eternity. And so they were talking to us about how you do that. How do you make your mark on the college campus, and how do you make your mark for Christ the rest of your life? And I remember on the, on the cover of the thing they handed out to us was a, a picture of like an old wooden desk, and somebody had carved in the desk with a penknife, an old penknife, which was in the picture, and the shavings were all there, uh, a, a, a Christian um, fish symbol, like the, the symbol of, of the fish, which represented Christ. And I, I remember that was on the cover, it was making your mark, making it hard to erase. 
Well, anyway, um, I went out on, on Saturday afternoon. The conference was almost over. And a friend of mine and I went out, a guy named Mario, and uh, he wanted to go see an old organ in some mall in Philadelphia. I had no interest in that. But I had a car and he didn't, and I was like, all right, whatever. And so we went, and um, he was so excited about this organ. There are all different kinds of people at MIT, and this guy was one of them, all right? And I was one of them, too. So at any rate, we went out and we saw the organ, okay? Big deal. But at any rate, we came out, and we're just walking down the street, and there was a street person there, and both of us just felt led to kind of stop and start talking to this guy about the Lord. So we did. We were sharing the gospel with this guy, just, uh, you know, trying to lead him to Christ. And um, as I looked up, there was a group of about six or eight people just gathered around us, just looking at us in utter amazement. And, like we were totally wasting our time like we were from another planet. And this guy started kind of making fun of us. Say, oh, you're wasting your time. This guy is a, he's an alcoholic or whatever. I don't even think they knew the guy, but just by, by how he was dressed, etc. Well, again, I felt this, the sense of the Lord there and the presence of the Lord that I should ignore these comments and just focus on this individual and try to talk to him about his walk with Christ and, and, and try to bring him to Christ. Well, Mario uh, talked to these folks for a while. Well, we were there another 15 minutes. They moved, moved on toward the end. Uh, they were a, a little bit distant away from me, so I couldn't hear anything they were saying. And I don't really remember what happened with me and the street individual, the street person, but uh, I do know this, and I'll never forget this the rest of my life. Mario and I were, were walking uh, you know, away from that, and he looked like he was walking on cloud nine. He was so excited. I said, Mario, why are you all excited? He said, you're not going to believe it. I said, what? He said, these people. You know, you're not going to believe what they said. I said, well, what did they say? Well, as they were walking away, they, they were being insulting toward us and all that. As they were walking away, they said, well, you guys are really making your mark, aren't you? Well, they had no knowledge of our conference, none at all. They had no way of knowing that that was the theme of our weekend. It was that God was speaking through them to some degree to give us a message of encouragement that we were doing the right thing. Now, my feeling is, you know, I think those things can happen, multiply it by a hundred as you step out in faith and trust in Christ to do things. And then if you don't, your life becomes far more natural and not supernatural. It's when you step out and, and say, I want to be a witness for Christ. I want to be involved in evangelism. I want to, I want to make a stand for Christ. I, I don't care what it costs me. It doesn't matter if I'm ridiculed. It doesn't matter if somebody rejects me. I want to be involved in evangelism. You're going to start seeing things happen. Could be on an airplane. It could be in your place of work. It could be with a family member who up to a certain point have been really hardened against the gospel and suddenly they, they start to show an interest. And, you know, you're going to start seeing specific answers to prayer. And better than that, better than all of that, you might be instrumental in God's hand to lead an individual, an eternal soul, uh, to personal relationship with Christ. And what could be better than that? So my desire in the time that we're going to be uh, studying evangelism is to equip you for those moments, all right? To equip you to share the gospel. Now, I don't know if there are any non-Christians here in this room tonight. Um, I'm assuming that there aren't. There may be. I don't know. This is a time of training for Christians, all right? But we're just in the four, four walls of this room. Evangelism isn't going to happen here. In my opinion, evangelism happens best by a combination of training, content, and actually going out and witnessing. And so I think we need to couple what we're learning here with actually going out and sharing the gospel. And uh, we've had many opportunities to do that, and we're going to have more. Hey, Landis, come on in. We're going to have more opportunities. Um, and so for me, it's everything from going to visit visitors that have come to our church to visiting international folks to going door-to-door surveying and all that. But you know something? The most effective witnessing there is are people that you know in your life, people you work with at the workplace, uh, people you already have some established relationship with. And I want to equip you and get you ready for those. I want you to be faithful in those areas. So what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at our call, our personal call to be witnesses for Christ. I want you to know and understand the gospel. There are a lot of different ways to share the gospel. I was saying to Daniel a little while ago, I don't share the gospel the same way every time. It's always something different. There are certain elements that are always going to be there. For example, I'm always going to talk about Jesus. Okay? Does that make sense? Jesus will always be there. The cross of Christ will always be involved. The resurrection will always be there, etc. But we just can come at it a lot of different angles. Uh, so the outline that we're going to be talking about, the, the God-Man-Christ response outline, is just one way to share the gospel. 
I think the, that when we share the gospel, some things about God are going to be said. Some things about us and our sinful situation are going to be said. Some things about Christ and his redeeming work are going to be said. And some things about the need of the individual to repent and trust Christ are going to be said. Those things are going to be there, and so therefore I think it's a good outline. But uh, we're going to be talking about those things. We're also going to be talking about the fact that God is calling each one of us to personal responsibility in this area. I don't want you to misunderstand the, the messages I've been preaching recently on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is not a way out of personal evangelism. I hope you know that. You know, I've heard it before. It's not my gift and all that kind of thing. Well, it may not be. I don't think that evangelism is my gift, but it is my responsibility. It is my responsibility to be a witness for Christ, and it's yours as well. I really believe there's some people that you're the only one that can reach them. I really believe that. And I think that uh, I, I just want to do what I can as a pastor teacher to get you ready for that moment. Okay? I'd like you to turn uh, to page five. And uh, after there's a little uh, you know, introduction to the course on the page, so you can read that on your own, but I'm just going to skip that. Let's go on to page five and talk about the importance of evangelism. Basically, I want you to know our goal in this course is to help you be fully equipped and spirit-empowered for a lifetime of laboring in the harvest fields for Christ. A lifetime of laboring in the harvest fields. Not a foray or whatever, but that you would be consistently involved in evangelism. That's my desire. And so we want to help equip you. And this one course is not going to be everything that it would take to do that. But that's my goal. That's my desire to see you uh, involved. I want to give you a little uh, overview of the class. I don't know that it's going to be only 10 weeks. Uh, We gave this before as a 10-week seminar. I'm already considering the possibility of doing some additional training with some other uh, lay people and other teachers in in the church who can bring another perspective and so we're starting to set some of that up but we're going to at least do 10 weeks together and i'd like you to know what uh, those weeks are going to include this week we're going to talk about the importance of evangelism Um, we're going to talk about the centrality of god's glory uh, human need heaven and hell christ's commandments the great commission uh, great commissions really um, and our accountability our judgment day assessment i also would like to challenge you to covenant together with two other individuals in a three-by-three pattern, so the three of you are each of you praying for nine unbelievers, for nine lost people to come to faith in Christ, three three names that you submit and three that each of the other two submit, so that you are praying regularly for those nine people until they come to faith in Christ or, you know, each each of those has had a good, solid gospel uh, opportunity, an opportunity to hear Christ. So we'll talk about that at the end. But I think that this is a, a fruitful program and a fruitful way of you uh, holding yourself accountable. You know, at some point, as you're praying for those nine people, uh, the idea is going to occur to you that, hey, maybe I could witness to one of them, et cetera, and you can hold each other accountable. We'll talk about that uh, week, week number one. Week number two is the role of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. We're going to talk about what the Spirit does, how He helps us to overcome fear in evangelism and some practical steps. We're going to talk about how the Spirit ministers holiness uh, in evangelism and how we can put on the spiritual armor so that we can be ready for the spiritual battle. Um, We're going to begin looking at an overview of the gospel outline as well. Uh, Preparation, presentation, invitation, and God-man-Christ response. That's week two next week. Uh, Week three, we're going to talk about what is the gospel. You need to understand the gospel. The gospel is a body of doctrine. And uh, we need to communicate uh, those doctrines in order for somebody to be saved. We know that the scripture says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it also says how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone uh, preaching to them? And so there is a content they must understand. There's a content they must accept and absorb in order to be saved. And so we need to know what that content is. What is the gospel? We're gonna, Yes, go ahead. Evangelism. Evangelism is a cognate word in the Greek that comes over straight into English. The EV prefix, uh, it, it relates to good. And the A-N-G-L, the angel, like angel, uh, is a message. Uh, so basically it's good news. It's the sharing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news is what it is. Uh, literally good news. The word angel means messenger. Isn't that wonderful? And so we're like kind of angels to some degree, literally, but not the way people think. We're not angels, whatever, but that's what they are. They're messengers. We have been given a message of reconciliation. It is is the best news uh, that there is. So evangelism is the sharing of the good news of of salvation, of forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. Very good question. Very good question. Um, So we're going to talk about what is the gospel? What is salvation? That is very important. Um, 
We're going to talk about making disciples and not just converts. We're not just looking for people to be praying a prayer or something like that. We want them to be genuine disciples of Christ. Uh, We're talking about regeneration, justification, true saving faith. We're going to talk practically about how to avoid a canned presentation. You're saying, well, you're teaching us a canned presentation, aren't you? Well, not really. I'm teaching you a gospel outline that I would like you to keep in your mind. But my desire is that you learn how naturally to share out of God, man, Christ's response. And if you don't like that outline, try another one. Frankly, God, man, Christ's response is just a general outline of 500 different tracks that are available. You know, the four spiritual laws is God, man, Christ's response. The, the steps to peace with God is God, man, Christ's response. It's all the same thing. It's just those are general titles for those topics that we cover. We're going to talk about how to make your witnessing natural. How, how through the leadership of the Spirit to make it something that you talk about, um, carrying on a gospel conversation with people. Um, turn the page. I'm on page seven now. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about why we should start with God in the outline. God the Creator, King, Judge, the loving God, the Holy God. God is the center of the gospel. Frankly, the good news is that there is a God and that He has a loving and saving intent toward us. That is the good news. And so we're going to be talking about God, the creator and king, judge, his love, and his holiness. Uh, we're going to talk about why God-centered evangelism is the only way to go and talk about your evangelistic prayer life. So you can see throughout the, the course, there's going to be practical things that we're going to discuss that will help you in evangelism. It's not just going to be uh, kind of theological content. Uh, week five, we're going to talk about uh, the second part of the evangelistic outline, man, We're going to talk about uh, the ravaging effects of sin, of human inability, uh, how to bring somebody to a sense of their need for a Savior. That is a a difficult part. It's something the Holy Spirit alone can do, but we must not shirk from it. Uh, We think about it. We have uh, in our men's uh, Bible study in in Acts 24, we're going through the book of Acts. In Acts 24, uh, Paul is witnessing to Felix, the governor, and he has a private time with just Felix, just Paul and Felix. And he's discoursing with Felix on the topics of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Well, wow, what weighty topics. And as Paul is discoursing about that, Felix becomes afraid and says, no more, I'll call for you later. Why does he become afraid? Because he feels guilty for his sin and he's afraid of the judgment of God and he stops the proceedings at that point. Well, I'm saying that there cannot be any true evangelism without a true communication of our need for a Savior, without a communication of the fact that we are sinners. And we're going to talk about how to do that and why that's difficult, but how much it needs to be done. Uh, we'll talk about human inability and other aspects of man. Week six, we'll talk about Christ, the centrality of Christ, of his person and works, of the death penalty that's paid. We're going to talk also about spiritual warfare. You know something, uh, one of the things that makes gospel preaching difficulty is that satan is dead set against it if you really look at what's going on you are like a commando team scaling the walls of a fortress and going in to rescue uh sinners from a from incarceration spiritual incarceration you're going like a swat team to rescue them out of a hostage situation not that they're there unwillingly sinners want to be in satan's kingdom but the beauty is that we have been rescued colossians 1 from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves well, we're not done being transferred. Guess what happens then? We get sent back into the dark kingdom to rescue others. That's exciting, but that's what makes it challenging, isn't it? There's spiritual warfare involved. We'll talk about that. Uh, week eight, we'll talk about uh, the invitation, um, the uh, the need uh, for people to... Uh, I skipped, sorry, week seven, response. Uh, the need for human response, that there must be the twin graces of repentance and faith. Those are two sides of the same coin. And as a a matter of fact, in my way of thinking, they really aren't different at all. They are are one and the same thing. By the way, I translate uh, Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Uh, There's the positive aspect of what you yearn for and what you desire. And then there's the negative aspect of conviction of sin. And both of those things are part of true, genuine belief. So there's going to be repentance. There's going to be faith. Those things are essential to salvation. They must happen. We'll talk at that point also about workplace evangelism. Week eight, we'll talk about invitations, invitation system, the sovereignty of God and evangelism and salvation, all kinds of good things. You know something? I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about what we're going to talk about and we're not going to talk about it. So we need to keep going. Follow-up and assurance and uh, dealing with tough questions like why is it taking us so long to get going? All right, turn the page. Our goal, our goal 
is that you would be laborers in the harvest field. The harvest is a spiritual harvest. It's people. Jesus uses that kind of language in Matthew 9. He uses it in John chapter 4. The, the fields are white for harvest, he says in John 4. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. In the very next chapter, Matthew 10, he sends them out two by two to go witnessing. I mean, absolutely, uh, the harvest um, is souls, human beings. We see how focused Jesus was, totally focused on his mission. Right there in the middle of that paragraph, uh, John 9, 3, it says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Doesn't that give you a sense? There comes a point where you can't work anymore. The rhythm of the sunrise and sunset gives you a sense of the ending of your life and the ending of opportunities. You have only so long to do this work. Only so long. And that's true also in relationships. Your life might intersect with somebody just for a short time. And if you've got that openness, you've got to seize the day. You can't put it off. Have you ever had a, a situation which you felt that God was leading you to witness to somebody and you put it off thinking you'd have another opportunity and you didn't? You know, it doesn't mean that they instantly died the next day in some dramatic car crash or something, but it's just it never happened again. You never had that good a chance again. My feeling is you've got to seize the moments. And Jesus knew that. That's why he's so intense with Nicodemus. You know, he comes and Nicodemus wants to talk about theology. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, let's get to the point. You must be born again. There's an intensity there, a focus. And Jesus had it his whole ministry, John 9, 3. So we have to be involved. John 4 says, do you not say uh, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages and even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Our goal in this course is to help you be fully equipped and spirit empowered for a lifetime of laboring in the harvest fields for Christ. All right, here we go. Time for our doctrinal instruction. Now, my book is different than your book. Okay? Your book has blanks and mine doesn't. Okay? Mine has filled in spaces. Okay? So basically, you need to kind of listen. I may remember to stress the words with different intonation, and I may not. You just kind of have to listen. Whenever you do the fill-in-the-blank type, somebody always says, I, you know, any question? Yes, I have a question. What is it? Well, what's the blank on middle of page 11, uh, you know, halfway down? Listen, don't worry about that. You don't want to come up. You can look at my outline afterwards or whatever. But uh, I have no problem stopping and telling you what the blanks are. But the point is to help you focus and to listen while we're learning. We want to start here. We want to start where God starts in evangelism. We want to start where the scripture starts. The strip, scripture starts with God. And evangelism must start with this, the centrality of God's glory. And let me share with you my conviction that it does not always start that way. A lot of times you start with the importance of human souls. And I say to you that we must not start there. We've got to start with the centrality of God's glory. In the middle of the page there, it says, it is more important that God be glorified than that human beings be saved. Now, that may sound shocking to you, but I think it's absolutely true. It was at the Southern Baptist Convention when Rick Warren was there giving a very passionate appeal to be involved in evangelism, which I thought was very well done. But he began after showing a video of some people, many, many people that had been baptized at Saddleback. And it was, you know, it was so poignant because he used certain music and seeing them get baptized um, coming out of the water in slow motion and seeing their tears, the joy when they're hugging family and friends. And as they found Christ, boy, that just it moved me. But after they showed the video, he came up and he said, uh, can anyone in this auditorium tell me of anything more important than the salvation of a human soul? Well, a friend of mine and I had just been talking about the centrality of God's glory, that God's glory is paramount over everything. And, uh, the, and But he kept going, Rick Warren kept going like this, saying, can anyone do it? I challenge you to come to the microphone and tell me of anything more important than the salvation of a single human soul. I said, no, I don't have the guts to stand up and say it, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm trying to think what he would have said if I had come up and said, <clears throat> the glory of God, you know. Um, my feeling is, well, yes, that, you know, and certainly he would have immediately put it above the list. Well, let's just put it there to begin with, okay? It is above that. Now, the joy is, thankfully, our salvation and God's glory are not at all opposed. 
God, in, in, in many ways, is most glorified by the transformation of sinners into glorified people. It's a great display of His glory. So they're not at odds. But we're going to begin with the centrality of God's glory. And why? Because Isaiah and other places begins there as well. Isaiah 43.7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah 48.11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Context is the redemptive plan of God. For His own sake He does it. For His own glory He does it. Ezekiel 36.22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. God created all things for the praise of His glory. That's why we exist. And therefore, our redemption, our salvation is also a display of the glory of God. So we are grateful that they're not in competition. God is glorified greatly by the salvation of sinners through faith in Christ. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says, In Him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. Do you see that? Might be means might exist, might be redeemed, might be in heaven, might be for the praise of His glory. That's why we are there. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession again to the praise of His glory. We are going to be praising the glory of God in heaven. More than that, we're going to be suffused with the glory of God. We're going to glow with the glory of God in heaven. There'll be no sun or moon or stars, no need for a lamp, for the glory of God will be its light and the Lamb will be His lamp. And so we're going to be filled with the glory of God and of the Lamb and it will be a marvelous thing. There's no competition between salvation and the glory of God. But let's start where the Bible does with the centrality of God's glory. Therefore, messengers of the gospel are messengers of God's glory. You know, I think meditating on this actually takes the sting out of it. I am basically worshiping God in front of the unbeliever by sharing the gospel. I'm declaring how glorious He is, how marvelous. Why don't you come along with me and magnify the Lord with me? Let's celebrate how great God is. Don't want to do it. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) You know, it just takes the sting off it. Because in effect, we're saying this is a magnificent God who's done this incredible thing. And again, if you don't have that that zeal, that joy, that excitement that's just flowing out of your pores, why would they want what it is you have to talk about anyway? You can be happy like me and Jesus. You're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want whatever it is you're, you know. But my feeling is if you focus on the glory of God and say, isn't it incredible how God's attributes, how his glory is revealed in the cross of Christ? Isn't it magnificent how for 2,000 years he's been defeating Satan by saving people like like you and me? Isn't that magnificent? It's a great thing, and, and we should meditate on that. But we are messengers of God's glory. Modern evangelism tends to place human salvation over God's glory. Note the change of intonation. Human salvation over God's glory. We don't want to do that. Because humans are not the point. Humans aren't at the center of God's affections. Humans aren't at the center of the universe. They're just not. God is. And that's the way it must be. What's that? (laughs) Yes. No. uh, Well, how can I answer that? Do I mind if you ask a stupid question? Go ahead. Yes. Well, that's a very good question. God's glory, uh, there are two ways that the word glory tends to be used in the Bible. One is of a kind of radiant, shining brightness, like the glory of the Lord shone around and they were sore afraid. Remember that King James Version translation? Say again? Well, yeah, that's the other way that God, God is also glorified by who he is and what he does. Um, and so one, in one sense, it's just light. The first thing that God created, he said, let there be light. Light is frequently associated with God's Glory, And I think what glory is, therefore, is the communication of how great God is to the audience of his created beings. 
And so the created beings observe and take in and marvel at just how magnificent he is and the glory of the, of the angels shining around the night that Jesus was born. It's just overwhelming and bright and all that. But that's just a communication of the glory of God. His face was shining and all that. Yeah. So I look on it as a communication from God to created beings of how great and magnificent God is, sometimes by light and sometimes not by light. Just by looking at Jesus, you could see how great God is. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw his glory when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what uh, they're doing. The glory of compassion and mercy and forgiveness. It was glorious even though it was far from radiant, bright and shining. It was actually physically ugly but yet it was glorious if you knew what to look for. So there's two ways that we talk about glory. That's a very good question. Uh, this tempts us, the fact that human ev- uh, modern evangelism places human salvation over God's glory te- uh, uh, tempts us to change the message if it seems it's not working. When you tend to put people above God, you're going to change the message if people don't like the message. Can we all agree not to do that? Is that all right? Can we agree that we are not going to change the message even if it seems that people don't like it? But you know something all over the world, people more than just like it, they hold on to it and embrace it for their eternal salvation. may not be just the individual you're speaking to that day, but all over the world people are being saved by this gospel. It is glorious. We must see that uh, see God as a mighty king. You have to write real small to fit that in. But you already did human salvation. So if you can get that in there, then mighty king. We must see God as a mighty king who has a rightful claim on our lives. That is the gospel. We are proclaiming the kingdom of God. We are proclaiming a God who has a claim on our lives. He is a mighty king and he makes a claim on our lives. Okay? We must see the gospel message as an amazing offer of forgiveness from a God who has every right to be enraged at persistent rebels such as us. We are representatives of the eternal God, proclaiming a message that will bring glory and honor to God whether they believe it or not. Isn't that wonderful? It is The gospel is wonderful even if the person you're talking to doesn't believe it. Isn't that true? God is wonderful even if the person that you're talking to doesn't believe in Him. Christ is magnificent even if the person you're talking to rejects Him. And so that's a, a beautiful thing. Other than that, you're going to be seeming like you're kind of pandering to them and begging them and kind of pleading with them in a certain way that wouldn't be appropriate. We are representatives of the eternal God. And we are confident that they will believe because God will be glorified by their faith and he has decreed that the gospel will be the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Now, I don't say that every single person I share with, I'm confident that they're going to believe. But I am confident that the gospel does not go out in vain, that there is there's going to be fruit from it. I go out in hope. I go out expecting that God's not going to waste this time. And so that that makes it uh, exciting. Now, there are some errors that are removed by keeping God's glory first. First, let's get rid of this one. Fear of people. All right. Fear of people. Evangelism is worship. Why should you be afraid? Let's, uh, let's praise God in front of people. We don't need to fear people. Secondly, uh, laziness and neglect of salvation, or sorry, neglect of evangelism is removed by keeping God's glory first. Evangelism is obedience to the king. Why disobey? Uh, false motives are removed because evangelism is not for carnal reasons. Why do it for pride? And, and that can't happen. You know, uh, pastors could be tempted with that. They want an ever-increasing uh, church size and all that kind of thing. Uh, or you might want, as some talk about, another notch on your gun belt, you know, bringing somebody to Christ, you could brag about it. No, that's not it. Uh, false motives are removed. Fourth, over-preoccupation with results. Evangelism cannot be truly measured, so why cr- count prematurely? Quite frankly, I don't really know the full effect of my life in ministry. I don't know the full effect of the gospel that I have preached. I have preached the gospel far more times than somebody has trusted Christ, but I don't know that those times were wasted. I won't know until until eternity. And so let's not count these things prematurely. Uh, fifth, uh, pride over fruitfulness. Uh, evangelism grows only by God, so why boast in yourself? And six, exalting human will over God's will. Evangelism glorifies God's will, so why boast in man? Anyway, these are some errors that are removed from keeping God first, God's glory first. Now let's talk about Christ's commandments and the Great Commissions. Notice that I pluralized the word Great Commission. There's not just one, there's actually many. You could say that there's at least five. One in each of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. All right? 
Um, first, we have these two great commandments. Uh, Matthew 22, uh, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, the thing that you need to ask yourself is, how does evangelism help fulfill the two great commandments? What would be an answer to that? How do you see evangelism, what we're talking about tonight, as a fulfillment of the two great commandments? That's right. And all the more if they reject and you patiently pray for them over a long period of time and finally they come to Christ, you're showing incredible love for them. That's great, Ronnie. Anybody else? Yeah. Say again. Right, right. Landis, go ahead. Right. Okay, that's right. We're loving him by obeying and we're loving our neighbor by sacrificially willing to put up with any abuse he or she might give us until they finally come to Christ. It really is such a measurement of love to do it. Turn the page if you would. Let me ask this question. It's related to the first one. How does overcoming great difficulties in evangelism show great love? How does it show great love? to put up with a lot of abuse to bring somebody to Christ. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. That's right. Anyone else on this? I think about that mysterious statement that Paul makes in Colossians when he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my body what is still lacking in regard to the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. You know, and the way I get out of that is that not that Christ's atonement is insufficient, but there's yet more suffering that's yet to be done in order to get these people saved. Christ's suffering is sufficient to atone for our sins, but then the missionary has to suffer to bring them the gospel. I saw some hands here back here. Yeah, go ahead, Kristen. Okay, putting aside your own fears shows love. Landis, go ahead. No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that, but I would turn it around and say, if you're willing to overcome great difficulties, you know, to me, I think that that's a measure of of love, Um, love toward God and love toward our neighbors, that we're willing to put up with a lot. And I think that that's uh, maybe part of the uh, understanding of the idea of perfect love casts out fear. If you really uh, love somebody, then you're not going to be afraid of what it takes uh, to bring them the gospel. But no, I wouldn't wouldn't do the... uh, reverse thing. It doesn't always work that way. Right. Right. But the, the whole thing is people are very unpredictable. And before you kind of join the battle, you don't know how you're going to be responded to. Even if they respond as sweetly as a gentle breeze and then within 15 minutes they're trusting Christ, you didn't know that's how it would go. They might have murdered you. I mean, you have no idea. But so you did venture forth. And so it's based on, I actually think some of the greatest honor and glory to God comes when you witness after a previously difficult time and you go out some more and do it some more. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Uh, we're told in the Bible that one example of love is, is uh, Jesus dying for another. <clears throat> mm-hmm. putting, putting the interest of someone else above himself. 
So I mean, it's very difficult because you doing the same thing, you're saying this to someone else about right. your own comfort and your own That's right. I mean, when I think back on the abuse that I put the guy who led me to Christ, the abuse I put him through, um, you know, I, I've lost touch with him. I don't know where he is, but I'm grateful to God every day of my life for him. Um, he put up with a lot. If you want to know how much, come and talk to me privately another time. But uh, let's look at these great commissions. Matthew 28, you know, uh, Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Probably the most famous of the great commissions. Uh, Jesus, right from the beginning, says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. What that means is, I'm the king. You better do what I say. I mean, it's an act of obedience, simple obedience. There's another way to interpret it is, I'm the king of all the earth. Therefore, don't be afraid. You're going to be successful. Um, both of those things, I think, are true. Uh, that's why the word of God is living and active. You can get more than one interpretation rightly out of a, a, a deep teaching like this. The next one's in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 24, he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, and then John 20, 21 through 23, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's John's great commission. And then Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Five different uh, times the Lord has given us this great commission. You notice that uh, in all the Gospels, it's at the end. You know, it's at the end. In the book of Acts, it's at the beginning. These are significant placements of this. It's not just anywhere. And I'm not saying... Um, that, you know, if it were in the middle, it'd be any less significant. But I am saying that that's kind of his final words and his final command to the church before he ascended to heaven. All right, the test of love, as Landis already quoted for us so beautifully, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then uh, the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5 says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that magnificent? Just take your pen and circle that. As though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that a powerful thing? And I have felt that. I really have. By the power of the Spirit, I have felt as though God were pleading through me to an individual. We therefore implore you, it says. We beg with you. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Let me just give you a little aside. There are two things that I think are difficult for me in evangelism still, even after all these years. One of them is to really do a good job of bringing an individual by the power of the Spirit to a healthy, thorough conviction of personal sin. That's tough. So that they really feel it. The second is to get really passionate and beg somebody to come to Christ. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Do you see how painful that might be to leave somebody with a feeling that all is not well if they haven't come to Christ, that it's actually really not well at all? That's difficult, isn't it? You know, And to actually get emotional about it, to, to show uh, pleading and imploring and begging that a person would come to Christ, those are difficult for me. And I'm not saying there's always a place for that. For you to sit next to a total stranger and weep before them on the plane, I'm not recommending that as an evangelistic strategy, but if the Lord leads you, that's fine. I'm just saying there's a time and a place for passion and for imploring and begging. Yeah, go ahead. They can tell. They can tell. That's for sure. All right, page 14. 
human need. We must constantly keep in mind as evangelists what the Bible reveals about the spiritual condition of people without Christ. We have to remember what their situation is. Realize the Bible must reveal this condition to us for non-Christians may appear very happy, successful, well-adjusted, generous, loving, religious, and virtuous. The eye cannot perceive what faith instructs through the scripture. Did you hear what I said? They may seem like they're doing better than you. (laughs) You know, in, in many ways, they probably are doing better than you. I don't know. But not in this matter. And this matter is of ultimate importance so that none of the other things matter if this isn't in in right order. If they're not in right relationship with God, nothing else matters. The Bible reveals the following about people apart from Christ. They are spiritually dead. They are already under God's wrath. That's in John 3. They're storing up ever greater wrath. That's in Romans 2. The, The law or the conscience is constantly accusing them. Also Romans 2. Not one good deed is accounted to their credit. Boy, that's a shock. It's not just that their bad deeds outweigh their good. It's that they don't have any good deeds. I mean, that's a shock when you stop and think about it. You say, how can that be? Well, it all has to do with motive. God wants everything done for the praise of his glory. That's why we were created. They do nothing for the praise of his glory. Therefore, they have no good deeds. That's why it says there is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3. Uh, They are incapable of pleasing God. That's Romans 8. They are enemies of God. Romans 5 incapable of atoning for their own sin. Romans 3 teaches that. They are blind and deaf to spiritual truth. 1 Corinthians 2. They are incapable of changing. They can't up and decide that they're going to change. That's what it means to be dead in their transgressions and sins. And uh, Matthew 9 says that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I get the picture of, you ever see uh, sheep with little gnats flying in their eyes and they're just, you know, twitching and blinking and all that. And they're just, they seem miserable. And I think that this is referring, when, when you talk about something, that the people are harassed and helpless. What do you think Jesus is talking about? Harassed. What is that referring to? Sin? Okay, sin is chasing them. I think so. They can't defend themselves. Could it have anything to do with demonic influence? that demons, the spirit of the power of the air has set up a demonic system that basically keeps them under in subjection to sin and they are helpless to get out of that harassed situation and that there's just an affliction with temptation and with struggles and strife and conflict all the time and there's just nothing they can do. And Jesus can see in the spiritual realm that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's a very, very tough situation. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, he does. You mean at the top? Happy, successful, well-adjusted, generous, loving, religious, and virtuous? I don't know. It's all a sham, I guess. (laughs) I don't know what to say. It just looks that way. That's all. I mean, they may be in the sunshine of their lives. They may be going through, you know, they just graduated or they got a great job or, you know, everything's looking happy and wonderful for them. Actually, they can continue in that condition an awfully long time. Sometimes it's grace from God to give you miserable and wretched situations if you're not a Christian to show you your need for Christ. All I'm saying is that each of these 11 statements and probably some others beside give a sense of the dire need of human beings apart from Christ. That's their present situation. This is a powerful motivation. Without the gospel of Christ, people will be eternally dead, eternally lost. Either one you can put in there. I'll tell you this, I, I actually think there are some people that that's like, that's all they have is their misery. 
And it would actually bother them to have some of it alleviated because then they wouldn't be able to complain as much. Uh, I used to do a nursing home ministry and I would go and there was this one woman who had MS and uh, she was one of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. Um, and we used to go every week. It was a friend of mine and I. I was just out of college and we used to go every week and visit this lady. She was in a wheelchair and I used to try to think of ways to alleviate her suffering. But I also wanted to be spiritual and so I would, I would, um, I got her, uh, the Bible on, uh, on tape. I figured she could sit there and listen on tape. So I got her, I bought her a Walkman, batteries, actually backup batteries, uh, the whole, I mean, I had the whole thing all figured out. And she never used it. Never. And, uh, I remember asking her about that and, you know, ah, you know, what, I don't need that stuff and all, all this kind of thing. Um, but I, I remember, you know, hearing her bitterly complain that she had nothing to do. She sat there. No one ever came. There was never anything going on. I'm thinking, you know, here, put it on, play it, listen, word of God, marvelous and all that. Also, she always seemed miserable, but if I ever missed a week, woe unto me. All right. Cause she never seemed to enjoy the visit. But, you know, I was like, where were you last week? I was waiting for you and you never came, you know. <laughs> Thinking, oh, man. <laughs> I wanted a week off. But uh, anyway, I don't know. There's just some people that seem to delight in their misery. And I don't know why it is. Um, but I don't think they really want to be miserable. I think if they could just taste, you know, talk about C.S. Lewis. They don't know what it's like to have a holiday at the sea. If you could just give them an hour in heaven, you know, say, do you, do you realize what you're missing? What I mean... I actually think the hour in heaven and hour of he- hour in hell would be like the most effective evangelistic tool ever. All right, <laughs> Lord, just give me. Let me take him or her with me for one hour each place, and then share the gospel. All right, <laughs> I don't think there'd be any any problem. Listen, we're out of time. We're right at that point. Let's pick this up next week. All right, um, I'm remembering now, Landis and others that have been through this class. We had two hours of instruction. So that's what it was. So no wonder uh, we're not going to make it through. But that's fine. Everything's everything's fine. Next time we're going to talk more about the ultimate issues of heaven and hell and about uh, about God. Let me me share with you, all right? Over this next week, I would like you to think about who you can covenant with in this three by three. Find two friends and say, will you hold me accountable to pray every day for these folks, etc., and pray for their people as well. Praying for nine people every day that they would come to faith in Christ. All right. I think that's a great idea. Next week, I'll ask if you did it. The following week, I'd like to see your names and all that of who you're doing it with, because I think this is a marvelous thing. You do it with your friends. You don't have to tell me the names of the people you're, 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 um, people that you're going to witness to. I just mean that your friends in the church that you're going to uh, partner with to uh, hold each other accountable. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time we've had to witness. We thank you for uh, evangelism. We thank you for the gospel. What an incredible thing uh, that we have this message uh, to take to people who are lost. Father, I pray that we would not through fear or negligence or laziness uh, draw back from the gospel ministry. I pray instead that we would begin thinking, Lord, who can I witness to? I pray, Father, that every day you give us witnessing opportunities and we be bold to take them. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here and for each of the many people that they're going to influence throughout this week whose lives they can reach in ways that no one else in this church can. I pray that you would help them to do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.